You know what, I, I was sitting in the front row by Ellie and Kylie, and you know what, we have a lot of young girls and women in this church, and I don't think that it was a coincidence that a little girl stood up with Laurie toward the end of praise and worship, right? So can we just take a moment right now to bless and pray for those young girls and women in our church? Because we are so blessed by them. And I'm blessed every day by Ellie and, and the little girls. And actually, Kylie is on our healing team, and she does a very good job. <laughs> so, Lord, thank you so much for the little girls in our church. Thank you that they're growing up, and actually they're in a church where they're listening to other women talk. And that women aren't silenced in this church, Lord. And we thank you and we praise you so much for their identities that are developing and their potential that you put inside of them, Lord. And we thank you every day for them. In Jesus' name, amen. So when Aaron first asked me to do today's sermon, I said to myself, does he really know what he's getting into? And then it was immediately followed by, oh gosh, do I really know what I'm getting into? (laughs) And actually, truthfully, I think this was Aaron's ingenious little plan to, you know, parade his bossy sisters out to talk about feminism and then say, that was my childhood. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I do come from a family of lecturers, and actually it goes back a few generations. Um, And we all kind of lecture for a living, but I thought, you know, this is a modern day, and I thought I'd put a content and a disclaimer in, so the views and opinions expressed in the sermon are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of New Day Church or Aaron Tomlinson. There you go, Aaron, did my due diligence for the lawyers, but actually I think Aaron agrees, so... I'm really grateful to be a part of this church. Um, Many times I felt like my soul belongs here. I don't know if you guys ever had that feeling, but that's how I feel. And this church is so awesome and friendly to women. And it's it's not legalistic by any stretch. And so it's a real pleasure to come up and speak. And Aaron gave me a great topic. He gave me a hard verse, but he gave me a great topic to research and, and speak about. For all of you who don't know my background, I'm one of the three sisters. There's Jackie, Laurie, and me. But I'm the one who moved to Miami and spent 11 years there. So I didn't go through the Word of Faith movement. I didn't go through the Charismatic movement. I went directly from being a Methodist Baptist type of person to New Day Church in 2001. (laughs) So that was... That was nice. (laughs) I teach currently in a male-dominated field. Um, My classes range from about 20 20 students or so. And I usually have one lone woman as a student in each one of my classes. So it's extremely male-dominated. I was the only woman on the staff until about a year ago. I hired another woman. And uh, so my entire career, I basically have been in a male field. But I was born that way. I was born a builder, and I was the child that didn't write her little pink hearts above her eye, because I have an eye in my name. I actually took them apart to see how they worked, and then reassembled them into a little rocket and shot them at people. (laughs) So I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that, but I was the one. I have an innate passion inside of me for design and an insatiable desire to build things. And my husband can attest to that because I have a craft room down in the basement. And it's full of every single hobby I've dabbled in. And I'm not into housekeeping or laundry or cooking. So anyway, even though I was raised in a Methodist church, I thought it would be fun to do a quick quiz and see if you guys could figure out who said these quotes. So the first one is, in pain you shall bring forth children... Women, and you shall turn to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And, and do you not know that you are Eve? God's sentence hangs over you, or God's sentence hangs still over all your sex, and his punishment weighs down upon you. You are the devil's gateway. You are she who first violated the forbidden tree and broke the law of God. It was you who coaxed your way around him, whom the devil had not the force to attack. 
with what ease you shattered the image of God, man, because of the death you merited, even the Son of God had to die. Women, you are the gate to hell. Wow. So that was written by Tertullian, the father of the Latin Christianity. That was early. That was in the, the first century. The next one. Do not any longer contend for mastery, for power, money, or praise. Be content to be a private, insignificant person, known and loved by God and me. Of what importance is your character to mankind? If you was buried just now, or if you never lived, what loss would it be for the cause of God? Who do you think said that? John Wesley, father of the Methodist Church, in 1703. Or 1774. Yikes. Next one. And that was his wife. (laughs) The feminist agenda is not about equal rights for women. It's about a socialist, anti-family political movement that encourages women to leave their husbands, kill their children, practice witchcraft, destroy capitalism, and become lesbians. Wow. That, you can kind of guess, was a little more modern. That's Pat Robertson. In 1992. Then there's some good ones out there. Um, We will never be happy until we make God the source of our fulfillment and the answer to our longings. He is the only one who should have power over our souls. So that's a good one. That was by Stormy O'Martin. And I did do a lot of research and and actually um, I found a quote that really resonated with me. And believe it or not, I found it in the Black Women's Manifesto written in 1974. The pamphlet intrigued me. Number one, it had the word manifesto in it, so that's intriguing for anyone. And in the introduction, it had the following quote. If the potential of the black woman is seen mainly as a supportive role for the black man, then the black woman becomes an object to be utilized by another human being. Her potential stagnates, and she cannot begin to think in terms of self-determination for herself and all black people. It is not right that her, or her existence should be validated only by the existence of a black man. That was written by an African-American writer, Gail Welch, in 1974. And actually, I fell in love with that quote. Um, and it made me wonder if since it was written in seven, 1974, 30 years ago, how much really has just stayed the same. And this all brings me to the verse I'm going to speak about today. I planned on speaking about three different ones, but I got caught up in this verse so much. And it was such kind of a strange verse, and so I really wanted to expound on it, and so I just got stuck on this one. So my topic today is, should women speak or teach in the church? And I'm a teacher by nature, and I actually teach men. And so mainly, it was no surprise that this verse really did intrigue me. So it's First Timothy... 8 through 15. And I don't know how many of you really have read this verse. Um, I gloss over these verses, um, and I'll get a little bit into that. Paul really doesn't have a good reputation with women feminist types. So It says, Therefore I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate to women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was born first and then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was a woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with propriety. So how many of you really thought about this verse? It's kind of all over there, isn't it? Actually, when you start researching, it really is not all over the place. And it makes a lot of sense. So what was Paul's intent when he was writing to Timothy? His intent was to send encouragement, actually, to his friend, who was the leader of the church in Ephesus. And the church of Ephesus was in Turkey. And there was a lot of false teachings and incorrect, her- or incorrect heresies going on. And um, a lot of people today think that Paul wrote this as a church manual. 
Some think that he wrote it just to correct some of these heresies that were going on. Um, I believe it was kind of a little bit of both. I think he was establishing the identity of a lot of people in these churches. And I think there were a lot of false teachings that were occurring. There were things going on um, at the time. This is actually, believe it or not, the most debated verse that I could find in research about women and the church. This is the one that actually keeps women from being deacons or pastors and that sort of thing. It's the one that really silences women in the church. And it's quoted very, very frequently. And there's things going on in Ephesus, and there were quite a few things that were going on. And you have to kind of look at the culture and the history and everything that was going on at the time. So Christianity comes into Ephesus, and Christianity has a totally different view than the current views that were going on about women. And Christianity definitely threatened the culture of the temple at the time. It is fact believed that St. Timothy died being stoned to death after trying to interrupt a procession of their goddess Diana, which is also the goddess of Artemis, by preaching the gospel. Christiana brought new models for women. And I would contend that the Christian model for women was one that the city could not identify with and found very confusing. For example, Jesus taught that both men and women were allowed. Women were allowed to sit at his feet and become his followers. Jesus spoke directly to women, held their eye contact, and he actually touched them, which was pretty radical for the day. Men didn't touch the women. Paul himself took women believers so seriously that while he was Saul, he had both the men and the women arrested and killed. His first convert was a woman named Lydia, and women believers were also mentioned by name, something else that was unique. He called them co-workers in Christ and lodged in their houses. And this attitude didn't fit with any paradigm that Ephesus was re- had regarding women. So Ephesus also had something coming in, and or actually it was already there. It was the Temple of Artemis, and Artemis was also the goddess Diana. We actually have her down in our Union Square, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ephesus was founded on the myth of the Amazon women. So the younger generation, they remember, the, they know the Amazon women because a lot of the war, World of Warcraft or whatever have them in there. Um, And they were a band of warrior women, supposedly from Persia. And the myth goes something like this. They had a little camp that men were not allowed in, and they were pretty tough women. And once a year, the men would come into the camp and pay a visit. And if male children were born out of that visit, they were sent out of the camp, either killed or had the men raised. But the women were allowed, or the baby girls were allowed to reside in the camp and become warrior Amazon women. And Ephesus believed that they were founded by the Amazons, and especially the goddess Artemis. Now, the goddess Artemis is interesting, too. She was a twin to the god Apollo. And the myth goes is that she was born, and then right after she was born, she helped her mom deliver her brother Apollo. So she was born first. So in my classes I say, this is important, it might be on the final. Since she was born first, this is important, it might be on the final. (laughs) She was protector of childbirth and labor as well as this warrior woman. She rejected marriage and love and remained a virgin. So this is important, it might be on the final. Young Greek women would perform an annual circle dance with weapons and shields, and they also worshipped a goddess called Nyx. Now, the goddess Nyx is also an important goddess at the time. And what's, what's interesting to, to note is that a lot of our young women now are going into a cult called Wicca. And actually, the goddess Nyx, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, is one of the most venerated goddesses in this Wicca cult. So it's kind of frightening because she's still kind of hanging out there. And Nyx was a shadowy figure who stood near the beginning of creation. So she was created first, 
and then the world was created first. So that is also important and shall be on the final. (laughs) Something to think about. She represented sleep and death. So if she was in a good mood, she'd put you to death. If she was in a mad mood, she'd just send you to sleep. Something else about Artemis, too, is she was adorned with jewelry from her head to her toe. And each piece of jewelry meant something. So we talk about Paul and we talk about jewelry. And, and, you know, I'm kind of one of those people who don't think Paul was that shallow and really talked about women's fashion. I think there had to be something more. And because the goddesses were adorned with all these strings of jewelry that meant something, there's got to be a connection, don't you think? You know, And they meant fertility. Some of them meant male anatomy and stuff like that. And so I think Paul knew that there was something with the jewelry in the culture. In a day and an age when women were illiterate and didn't know, all these little symbols, they kind of add up. You know, you can't go and read to know better. You watch and you learn and you see what's going on. And they paraded her through the streets every year with all this jewelry on top of her. In the temple, there were 15 to 28 priestesses. And they were very prominent women and they actually kind of ran the city. There were also a thousand prostitutes. That served the temple, and this is how they supported such a big, beautiful temple. So the women in Ephesus were either prostitutes or they were Greek wives. And Laurie and Jackie have talked about how the Greek wives were, so they were very much a second class citizen. They did not marry for romantic love, and they were given no voice whatsoever. They dreaded marriage. They were a piece of property. They were a financial transaction. And if the women didn't have a dowry, they were kicked out of their home. You know, go fend for yourself. So guess where they ended up at? They were in the temple, right? They were the prostitutes. They were restricted from outside events. So they couldn't go to parties. They couldn't go to dinner. But they were allowed every once in a while to go if their husband was prominent enough and they were pretty good arm candy, you know. They were allowed to go. Um, They really couldn't talk much. They couldn't go outside because their husbands were afraid they'd be raped. So they spent most of their time indoors alone. And they were definitely defined by their children. Once again, this might be on the final, right? So they were defined by their children And only their male children, they were not defined by their female children. So childbirth, you can imagine, was a very stressful thing. You know, here they're giving birth to a child. There's no ultrasound. And they're thinking, is this a man, a little boy? Is it a little girl? If it's a little boy, I'll be loved and I'll be respected. If it's a little girl, you know, I won't. As a matter of fact, fathers didn't represent. They didn't they didn't say this is my daughter. They didn't even acknowledge that they had girls. You know, they were only part of their property. So it was extremely, extremely embarrassing for a Greek wife to give birth to a daughter. So imagine twin daughters, Jackie. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Moth. So, and then too, infant mortality rate was huge. It was very high. It could have been high as high as 50% of the infants died right before they were, or after they were born. So it's no surprise that the goddess Artemis was also the goddess of childbirth. And I think she was probably still revered by most of the Greek women, even though she was part of the temple prostitutes and all of that. So that's kind of the culture that had come through and that was involving women at the time. So you had the Christian culture coming in who was pretty submissive. You had the temple prostitutes and then you had the cloistered Greek wives. Something else to consider when looking at the verses, the Greek language that it was written in. And Paul wrote in a dialect of Greek called Koine. Years ago when Bible scholars were working on the New Testament, They thought that Koine was only a Greek language that was used in the New Testament and it was created by by God. So it was kind of a heavenly language. So that's how far away it was from the actual Greek. It's what Paul spoke in 
and it's what Paul wrote in. Um, it's kind of like Creole and French, and I don't know how familiar you are with Creole and French, but when you live in Miami, you're very familiar with it. Creole is kind of the backyard language or the backyard French that all the Haitians speak. And, of course, it's done in, in Louisiana as well. And it's what they all speak. It's what they all understand. But when they go to school, they actually speak in French and they actually write in French. And that's kind of what Koine was. Everybody knew Koine. And so that's why Paul wrote his letters in Koine, is because everybody could understand them and learn from them. So imagine a hundred years from now, would we recognize Creole or would we recognize French? And that's kind of what happened with his Koine Greek. So translations are very hard in the first place. You ever heard the phrase, it's all Greek to me? Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. The English language, we, we have one word that means two things. We have like orange, which is a fruit or a color. We have the word fine, which is I'm feeling fine or my hair is fine. You know, and that's how English people speak. Greek had something like 50 words for be quiet. Can you imagine? Yeah. And so this made translations very hard. So how many of you have heard of a gentleman called Khrushchev? Anybody go through the Cold War? Yeah. Well, he once said, or we thought, he said, we will bury you. And this caused the bomb shelters in the United States. So if you were a bomb shelter salesman, your market went up big time because of this. Actually, what he really said was, by the time this present generation has passed on, the political system in the U.S. will be communism. So that's just translating Russian to English. So imagine translating a backyard Greek into English. And so that was a challenge. But we are getting smarter. Uh, Koine is now being found more often in archaeology digs. So we're getting a little better sense of what the language, how it was structured, and how it was said. And so the first translation of 1 Timothy 2 was, let the women learn in silence with all subject, subjection. And now in the NIV it says, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. So it's a little bit different, isn't it? One's a lot stronger than another one. Paul was a scholar, and he wanted women to learn. And the word hesukeia is the word Paul used for silence. It means a restful quietness in meditation or study. It kind of be like walking into a library or a lecture hall. So there's a difference in being quiet in order to learn and shut up. Yeah. Right? So there's the different English language. Paul was telling them to be quiet in order to learn. He was not telling them to shut up. And imagine, you know, these women didn't get out. They weren't used to learning. They weren't used to assembling with a lot of people. Women are chatty. This, this is feasible to believe, right? It's kind of like seeing in a movie theater, silence your cell phones. We still do that today, don't we? Right? So that's pretty much the same. The next word is subjection or submission. And this is the Greek, and this didn't have the phonetic saying, so I probably am not speaking it right. Hiptusomase. It means the voluntary willingness to listen or be responsive to the needs of others. Key word, voluntary. Right? So it wasn't, shut up and listen to me. Right? Next part is a little tough. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. <laughs> this is the one that feminism's kind of, you know, we, we hate Paul. Right? The feminists say this, actually. And for a while, I thought Paul was kind of chauvinistic myself. But I'm starting to learn that Paul was actually quite a feminist himself. So the tense that Paul used... For example, the Greek language, we have quite a few tenses of verbs. The Greek language has even more. And the word he used was epitrepo, 
which is a present continual sense. Okay, my eyes glazed over at that because I don't like grammar. Jackie does. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, whatever. I threw that away in middle school. Um, but really what it, it changes the sentence and it, and it says Paul did not say, I will not never permit. But what he said was, I am not now permitting. It is honestly my belief that Paul did not expect that his letter would be published and become law for a lot of churches to subjugate women. Another word he used was authentio, and that's the Greek word that means translated into authority. But this is a different word than just authority. It appears nowhere else in the New Testament. So imagine if you have the authority of Christ. That wasn't, this word was not used for that. This one means, it first started out as meaning one who kills with his own hands. So it's a little stronger authority, don't you think? Later, it means to dominate in an autocratic manner. And today, it could mean to dominate or perpetrate. So that, that implies a taking over by force, right? So you could translate the whole part of this verse in to learn in meditative quietness, subjected to the speaker. I am not now permitting women to teach by assuming aggressive domination over men. Now, with what I told you about the temple of Ephesus, doesn't that translation make a lot more sense? And why should we build a church government off of something like that? So Paul could simply be addressing the issue of certain women who are being domineering in community worship, who are yelling across the sanctuary at each other, who were, just didn't have a clue on how to sit and learn and behave themselves. You know, and I use my phone in the movie theater. I'm still reminded to turn it off, right? That doesn't mean I'm a bad person. Well, to some people. <laughs> and this is probably not unlike the domineering feminists of the day, right? We've seen it. Okay, so the next part is the reference to Adam and Eve. And this is where the final comes in. And I read and studied it, and there's a lot of interpretations about this, a lot of them. And some are, I agreed with some of them or not, but I got to thinking, you know, um, once you study the goddess Artemis and you study this goddess Nyx, it absolutely makes sense that Paul would go back to the creation in Christianity, right? Because Artemis was a creationist type of god, goddess. She was actually a pretty buff type of woman. She represented midwifing, so she represented birth and rebirth. She represented fertility. The goddess Nyx was a creation god. She was there before the earth was formed. And the Amazon women were also founders of the earth. So Paul had to correct this, right? And I truly believe that God said, for Adam was created first, and then Eve, and Eve fell, because she was deceived. I think what he was doing was correcting, and this is theology according to Jamie, but I think what he was doing was correcting their heresy or their false teaching. And he was saying, this is what the Christians believe, and this is our origin beliefs. Jeez, I really deviated. I'm sorry. So Laurie and Jackie talked about how Eve was born and mutually, as a mutual, mutual supporter for men. And this had to be a radical, radical thought for these women. And I really think Paul preached that. I really think that Timothy and Paul believed that women were supporters, mutual supporters for men. So he had to take that heavily domineering feminist thing, the temple prostitutes, all that stuff, and he had to rework it and reboot it. 
He had to take women from being complete domineers and perpetrators of men. And he had to bring it back into the Christian belief. Last one, not so easy. This one's tough. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Wow. That's a tough one. That's one you just want to gloss over and just say, okay, I read that. Next chapter? You (laughs) You really don't want to listen to that. Unless you're a woman who can't have children. So imagine, seriously, how many women do you think on this earth have truly, truly been hurt by this verse? And when you think about it, being saved through childbirth is kind of a works thing, isn't it? That's not a faith salvation. That's not a grace salvation. That's if you do the right thing, you will be saved. I don't think that's what what Paul meant. Again, I think Paul was correcting the goddess myth. He was correcting the Amazonian myth. Remember, the goddess of Artemis was a virgin, and she was a virgin by choice. She didn't want to have anything to do with men. She was uh, definitely domineering and defiant. And what Paul was doing was he was bringing it back to another virgin in the Christian religion. And who was that? That was Mary. Mary was not Artemis. And her spirit was not the spirit of Artemis. Mary was a virgin, but Mary said, God, anything you ask of me, I will do. That's not Artemis, right? And also, there was a neat thing that God did with Mary that I believe, is that he redeemed Eve through Mary. There wasn't a whole lot of men in a virgin birth, right? (laughs) So, Mary redeemed Eve. And I think that's what Paul was telling the Ephesus women and men at the time, was that she was a virgin. She was not a obstinate, domineering virgin. She was a gentlewoman who carried the Savior and the Messiah. And that is your identity in the Christian church. That is who you are as a woman in the Christian church. And since Eve was born second and deceived, she was still redeemed. She submitted to the plan of God. So Mary did submit to the plan of God. And Mary had a purpose and a plan from God. Which was very important. Especially when you got a whole group of women feeling like they don't or can't live out the plan that God gave them. So I think correcting this was very, very important to Paul. I really do. Because that temple was huge. It dominated the city. It dominated the culture. It dominated everything. And women need to know they had a place in the Christian church and it was radically different than the place they had in the temple. So back to that quote I said in the beginning. If the potential black woman is seen mainly as a supportive role for the black man, then the black woman becomes an object to be utilized by another human being. Her potential stagnates and she cannot begin to think in terms of self-determination for herself and all black people. It's not right that her existence should be validated by the existence of a black man. And I ask you, that was 30 years ago. Aren't there some churches today that objectify women, treat them as a supportive role for a man, and make them an object to be used by another human being? So much so that she cannot begin to think in terms of self-determination for herself and all people. Honestly, in preparation for this sermon, I was appalled at some of the attitude that the church has had toward women, even today. Some very subtle and some not so much. 
I'm not talking about this church, but I'm talking about a lot of churches that have great influence over people today. And some of the churches I listened to when I couldn't find a church in Miami, actually some of the quotes I'm going to show you came from one of the ministries I listened to quite a bit in Miami. So here are some quotes I found on the Internet by these prominent ministries, and I've chosen not to quote them. I didn't want to lead a charge. It's a lot of respect. <laughs> so it's not coincidental. This one really is, is, is wild. It's not coincidental that like Corinth, many of these churches that practice speaking in tongues and claim gifts of healing also permit women to engage in speaking ministry. Many Christian groups, in fact, have, were begun by women, just as many of the cults that have sprung from Christianity were founded by women. When women usurp man's God or usurp man's God-ordained role, they inevitably fall into other unbiblical practices and delusions. Wow, that's kind of a stab at our church, huh? So when do you think this was said? What 1800s? How about April 8th, 2016? This was actually said by a church that I listened to and hung on every word when I was in Miami. And I have a story to tell you about that. When I was in Miami, and I asked Mike if I could share this, because, you know, imagine when Aaron tells us all we're going to get up and preach about feminists, all our husbands probably took an initial... (laughs) So I cleared everything (laughs) before I came up here. But um, I was... In Miami, I was alone. I did not have a support, a church to support me. I listened to ministries like this on the, on the radio, and I learned that Mike was the head of my spiritual life. And that's not an uncommon message. You hear that. Mike was not a Christian at the time. So in order for Mike to be the head of my spiritual house, I had to somehow get him saved. <laughs> Imagine the pressure of that. And there are other women in this church that... I know have felt similar pressures. So every day I pray to God, you know, bring someone into Mike's life. Bring someone into Mike's life. Please bring someone into Mike's life. Because I would usurp his role if I said something. Right? So someone had to come into his life and God had to send him. And he had to make this great impact on my husband. And this was my hope. Because I was listening to these ministries. Right? So one day we got into a fight, and this time I left, and I'm driving down the road, and of course, you know, in Miami, I'm like, where am I going? Because, you know, 1,500 miles back to Colorado. And I'm complaining to God, and I do this occasionally, and probably God doesn't like it, but I do. You know, I'm saying, oh, Lord, I've, oh, I've really, really, really been praying that you send somebody to God, and I've been praying this, and you just haven't done it. You know, and I'm complaining, going through my laundry list of things on what's wrong. And you ever get the one-two punch from God? (laughs) I get it a lot, actually, and I think it's because I'm so dense. (laughs) Aaron's done that to me a couple times, too. And God gave me a one-two punch. And actually, it's the only time I've actually heard the audible, audible, outside my head, voice of God, like he was sitting in the passenger seat. And he said, I sent you. That's a one-two punch from God. (laughs) But you know, he does it in such a way that you don't feel totally bereft and you don't feel totally punched out. He does it in a way that you say it empowers you, you know, and you say, yeah, that's right. You did send me. You didn't send some other person to do it. And, and truly, in the end, I do believe he did send me for my salvation. Amen. And so, if that's the case, and if God's given me the one-two punch, should women speak in church? Okay, another quote. Many women go beyond their biblical roles because of frustration with Christian men. Hello! often including their own husbands, poor guys, who do not responsibly fulfill the leadership assignments God has given them, but God has established the proper order and relationship of male-female roles in the church, and they are not to be transgressed for any reason. Wow. 
When do you think that was written? That was written just recently, too. I don't know. You don't have it. Okay. But so women aren't the only one that are totally punched down in the modern church. So are men. They truly are. A prominent Christian woman today talks about resentment over picking up her husband's dirty socks. And she realized her resentment was selfish and by failing to pick up her husband's socks, she was refusing to play her proper role as a wife, which was to serve others. With this amended attitude, she was able to carry out her responsibilities with a sense of purpose, which was in her case a higher spiritual purpose. I wasn't just picking up dirty socks for my husband. I was serving the Lord Jesus behind by doing this, so I had to do it heartily as to him. Okay, I get it. It's a spirit of servitude. I get it. I do. <laughs> However, I don't think my, son, my husband's socks are holy. I'm just saying. <laughs> it kind of makes you wonder, who cleans the bathrooms in heaven? Right? Not going to be me. I have bigger plans. And that's my point. I have bigger plans. I want to help God create universes. I don't want to clean the bathrooms in heaven. I'm sorry. That's not a holy duty for me. Now, there are a lot of women who have a spirit of hospitality. And Lord bless those women because they're desperately needed. And they do a great job here in our church. But what about someone like me who never had the spirit of hospitality much. I'm not going to totally discount myself out of that. <laughs> but I think my purpose is not that in heaven. And so, born a Methodist and a Baptist, when you focus on heaven, what do you do with that, right? I really want to do something different in heaven than pick up socks. And that was written by actually one of the biggest women leaders on feminism in the church today. A great many churches are really focused on rank. Adam was born first. Eve was born second. So Eve has the lesser role. They define men and women according to the fall of man, focusing instead on the role of Adam and not the role of Christ. They admit that Jesus elevated women by touching them and allowing them to sit at their feet. But then they go right back to Adam and say, but wait a second, they're second, second born. This is kind of a works mentality. I hate to tell you this, but it really is. Ranking is something we do naturally, but it's also based on works. What about the Beatitudes, right? Why did Jesus preach the Beatitudes if we're going to rank? Some churches let women teach if they do it with proper respect and attitude. And in the pecking order of some church, every adult male has authority over every adult female. So the lowest man in the pecking order of the church is over the highest female. Think about that. I'm going to suggest to you that the whole idea of rank was never part of Jesus' plan. Ever. Blessed are the meek, for they should inherit the earth. Are you sure? Here's a question I want to ask you. I went to an all-women's college, and I graduated a pretty much dyed-in-the-wool feminist. I had the short hair. I had everything. First argument Mike and I had actually was whether or not to hyphen my, hyphenate my name. He did not want to take on Tomlinson. He didn't care if I did. He just didn't want to do it. Um, and so we got into a big argument about that. That's how feministic I was. And so my first year after graduating or after getting married, I used Tomlinson Gage. Not only is it a mouthful, um, but whenever I went to um, job interviews, it immediately told anybody who was interviewing me that I was married, right? So the question's like, you know, are you going to have babies soon? This was the 80s. Are you going to, how much does your husband make? Stuff like that came out. And so then I realized, yeah, it's not a good idea to hyphenate your name, and I dropped it. But that's how big of a feminist I was. I was even pro-choice. So when you think feminism, that's what you think, right? She's pro-choice. 
I did, however, see both of my children on the ultrasound at six weeks after conception. Six weeks after conception. So imagine that's about the typical time most women do abort. And after seeing a child on an ultrasound six weeks after conception, you cannot be pro-choice. You have no other choice but to be pro-life. And I changed my tune immediately. But what if the Christian community had taken on feminism? Not taken them on, like fought against them, but what if they decided they were going to propel feminism in this earth? Here's what I think might have happened. Abortion would not be a choice. Abortion would be a human right. It wouldn't even be in the feminist realm. Because we're not even arguing about the same things. We're arguing about pro-choice, right to life. We're never going to resolve it, ever. If right to life were a human rights issue, would we be arguing pro-choice? I don't think we would. And so if you really want to narrow down a movement, you narrow it down to one element that is provocative and not everybody agrees on, and then you dismiss it. And that's what's happened with the feminist movement. Instead, the feminists today are arguing gender neutrality, birth control, and our public restrooms. What if we were discussing instead violence against women today? Do you know that thousands of women are buried up to their necks in ground and then stoned to death? Just this last month, or actually this was in February, Four women were raped by ISIS, accused with adultery, buried up to their necks, and stoned to death. They were very, very young. Gloria Steinem, the leader of a lot of the feminist groups, believes in Islam or supports Islam. Here's something that's really kind of frightening. The National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline It's operated by a group called Polaris. Received reports of 14,588 sex trafficking cases in the United States. They also report that 4.5 million people are trapped in forced sexual exploitation globally. Here's the big scary statistic. You want to hear it? In 2014, the report from the Urban Institute estimated that the underground sex trade economy ranged from, get this, 39.9 million in Denver, Colorado, to 290 million in Atlanta, Georgia. I don't know. You know, I, I know a lot of Christians who I... I I'm on Facebook, (laughs) and I'm actually getting tired of Facebook because everybody just keeps posting quotes, and I'm more interested in what people are doing than what these quotes say. But I see a lot of quotes from a lot of Christians, and I see a lot of quotes involved in just the wrong issues regarding women. Um, You know, this whole women speaking in church? Well, you know what? I sat on the front row with a bunch of young women in this church Today, praising with women. Little girls. You know, we had a little girl run up front. We are not resonating with the next generation. We are discussing speaking in church. Men are the head of our homes. You know, all this. And I, and I believe that the harmony in the home is important. Don't get me wrong. But are these the, really the things that we want to be identified as a church as being involved in when it comes to women? I'd rather be involved in trying to help women in the Middle East who are being horribly, terribly, terribly abused. My gosh, Denver didn't even know we had a human trafficking problem in Colorado. And I saw a map and up and down the front range is all red with statistics from human trafficking, from Pueblo all the way to Fort Collins. You know, where are we? 
And I don't mean to be too critical. I just think that sometimes when we start talking about feminism, we dismiss it. And we say, I'm pro-life. Right? And if I come up here and say, I'm a feminist, which I am, everybody looks at me and says, oh my gosh, <laughs> what's going to come out of her mouth next? Right? That's the disclaimer. You know, we're, we're, we're discussing public restrooms. And yeah, I get, I get the discussion. I really do get the discussion. I, I remember back in 96, um, Hillary Clinton got a chance to speak at the UN conference. And I was really excited because I was a young feminist and I was really excited. You know, finally a woman got a chance to speak at the UN. And you know what she talked about? I thought, oh, she could talk about all kinds of things that the Middle East is doing. China was leaving women on, little girls on the street to die. You know, stuff like this was going on. And she talked about gender neutrality and how we should use pronouns separately in our speech. That's what she talked about. And I was so disappointed. And that's when I started kind of moving away from the feminist group. It didn't resonate with me. And, and I don't think it's resonating with the next generation. And I see more and more objectivity of women and little girls and that sort of thing going around. And the, women, or the church should be the leaders. And they should let their women speak and have identities and have purpose and have meaning in their lives. And so um, I'd like to close this up with, um, (laughs) this is always a a struggle. We've talked for the last, I don't know, three or four weeks about these gender issues, about men versus women, families, marriages. And I'll be willing to bet that there are a lot of Christians in our culture who have been hurt Men by women, because believe it or not, women abuse men. That happens. Women by men, definitely. Um, women who've been silenced in the church, definitely. Did you know that um, Jezebel is used quite frequently against women? And I believe in the spirit of Jezebel, but is there a male side to that? Is there a name that we call men? I don't think so. I don't hear it. I can't think of one. So if you've been hurt by that, um, you know, maybe there's people here who have been really shut down. I lost my voice uh, a while back, quite a few years back, in church to where I couldn't even pray in front of people. And it, it really hit home because I used to pray always in front of people. And when you lose your voice and your identity in the church then in a way you lose your soul. And so I'd like to have the the ministry team come up and pray for any men, women, or anybody who has been hurt by divorce or the battle between the sexes or been shut down in church, anything like that. So if we can get some music going and the ministry up here.